The views and opinions expressed during this show do not necessarily reflect like the, the policy, policy or position of any affiliated workplace or employer. The, the views, views and, opinions and opinions of this show, of this show do, do not constitute not. recommendations for therapy. Please contact a licensed SLP for individual consult on your situation. Please listen carefully. What is communication? An essential behavior of life. We have the both blessing and responsibility of trying to foster another. It's transmitting a thought from one person to another. It's the strongest way for two people to convey information to each other. The back and forth between two people. Communication is a lifeline. It's just connection with other people. Connecting people in terms of ideas or thoughts or names. Draws us out of ourselves, draws us into that relationship, you know, builds up our families. Without it, we belong. Whatever it is that we do to express intent and achieve an impact. Communication is the ability to express your needs, wants, frustrations, and desires to anyone that you feel needs to have that information. Happy New Year and welcome to Speech Science episode number 168, counting down to the big old 200. I'm Matt Hot a speech and language pathologist located in Ohio, working with middle school children and adults with dementia and stroke rehab, joined by the PTSD SLP, Rachel Archambault. Hello. I'm always worried that I'm going to say your name wrong, so I just and like sometimes mumble you do. it. Do I really? You sometimes. And you'll be okay. You should yeah. just yell at me every time I do. I do. That's, okay, you're good. Okay, so then I said it right today. And you're then, good. Our pediatric SLP expert in the great state of Texas, Michelle Wintering. I can't misspell Wintering or misstay right. Wintering. I, I hope not. You would be surprised how many people have, though, in my lifetime. Uh, I get called Holt all the time. H-O-L-T. I could see that one because mm -hmm. on paper they look similar. Yeah, they think it was an accident that I crossed the both T's. They're like, no, you must have definitely did an L. Uh, it is good to be back on air. Uh, today, we will be diving in to, uh, how do I say it, Rachel? Trauma-induced care? Trauma-informed care. Trauma-informed care. Uh, we are also going to be doing our SLP shout-out, our due process, and also diving into the realm of artificial intelligence but before we do all that, we love to hear from you and you can get a hold of us multiple different ways. We're on Facebook, we're on Discord. You can also email us uh, speech science podcast at gmail.com. We did get a message from Lisa Michelle uh, asking where we've been. And I don't think Lisa was expecting the answer that I gave her. Uh, uh -oh. I can tell where I've been on my side. We had strep. We've had multiple illnesses. It is like an urgent care in this house, but I think knock on wood, we've been healthy for three whole days. <laughs> Everyone has been the, to school and work this week. Have, Matt, have you seen the TikTok? I've seen shared around by tons of people with kids in particular, but especially just with all the viruses going around. And oh. it's uh, it has the sign. The dad goes and changes the sign. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's zero days. Since. We've been, yeah. Um, <laughs> this family has been without a cold virus, flu, whatever, for number zero of days, days. And he goes over and crosses off the two and puts a zero. <laughs> I give my wife 100% credit because like while she gets to be the domestic engineer in the family, this the stay-at-home parent. I love that uh, term, by right? the way. Domestic engineer. Uh, family had, CEO or Ooh, I like family CEO. Like, yeah. 
I'd like, I'd walk, I'd like be like, after I got dressed for the gym or to work to leave, I'd be like, bye, honey, good luck today. And then you like just run to the car and drive to work and be like, I hope I didn't bring any illnesses with me. <laughs> yeah. But other than that, I had a great holiday. Uh, let's go with Michelle because Rachel, your, your, what you've been doing leads into our first topic. So I want to delay that a bit. Michelle, how have you been? What's, what any mundane events have been happening in your life? No broken bones. Mm. Kids are healthy. Everything's fine. Right? <laughs> yeah. Speaking of why we were all off air for various reasons, right? The, uh, the fall viruses hit pretty hard here too, but then, um, uh, my kids and I were going to be traveling for Christmas, uh, back to Ohio actually. And, uh, that, and our, our plans sort of got, took a total 180, um, uh because my, my four-year-old broke his leg, um, in early to mid December, um, at a birthday party at a trampoline park of all oh, places. No. And, um, super common, apparently I've learned mm -hmm. more and more. Um, and just, uh, you know, a freak accident. The timing was bad when he landed on the trampoline. So it was no, nobody, cause people keep asking me like, what happened? Was he double bounced? Did he get hit by somebody? And it was nothing crazy. It was, I guess, nothing abnormal from jumping on a trampoline. Mm -hmm. It just happened happened at the wrong time. So that was pretty rough. We, um, He's doing great now. He scoots around all over the place, which the nurses told me he would do. But that first night, I just didn't believe them because he was in so much pain. Mm. And uh, mm. he picked a blue cast and he will not let anyone sign it. Because oh. he doesn't want anyone to sign it. <laughs> I said, that's fine. It's your leg, your <laughs> choice. And um, and he's, do he's doing quite well. The pain is obviously much better. It's been a month. Um, but he'll have it on until the end of, of January. So I don't, don't recommend broken legs on mm. anyone, but especially children. Uh, it's a little rough. Uh, no. But that meant we were in Texas for a Texas Christmas. So we had a very warm Christmas. And, um, and then... The other big news in my family is that my husband made it home right around New Year's from a deployment. So we were counting down. Yay. Those days. So he's back. Yay. I'm happy to hear that. Thank you. There I you saw go. some of the pictures and uh, I, I, I don't know why, but like I've never served and my closest family member was my, my like grandfather, but like any family reunion photos or like video, I'm like, I love this. And I, I, I sometimes cry when I watch those. So, oh, oh right? don't worry. It gets me. I've been to more, we call it a homecoming ceremony when soldiers mm -hmm. come home and, um, I've been to more than I can even count for friends and family. And, um, and I also, I, I don't know if you guys know, but, um, or if our listeners know, but a hobby turned, um, side hustle, I guess, of mine is photography. Um, so I have a, a small, um, photography business. And so I, I taken photos at them as well. And I cry at Aww. everyone, um, uh, because it is just like when you're apart that long, finally right. being back in the same place and everyone being safe is, is more than you can really put into words. So definitely. Well, on that emotional turn, Rachel, how have you been? I've been okay. <laughs> um, I had a relaxing, restful winter break. It was our coldest one here in Florida in many, many decades, I think. It was in the, like the 40s. Um, 
on Christmas day, which was very cool. I just have um, to add, I called it cause that was about our weather for Christmas too. And I called that a warm Christmas. Right. <laughs> I was like, weren't you in Texas? Like, wasn't that a nationwide polar vortex? It like did I'm get not down really... to the thirties. I, I, it did get down to the thirties. So. Uh, we had wind chills of like negative 10 y'all. No, it, it got pretty bitter here. Actually. We had, we had some pretty cold days, but not Ohio. Go okay. ahead, Rachel. Sorry. Okay. No, it's all good. Um, I just relaxed really. And, uh, I wanted to tune out work has been extremely stressful. Um, so there were a couple things that I had projects around my apartment that I needed to do. I put up a shelf. Um, I sold a shelf and watched some TV. I watched all of white Lotus season one and season two. Um, and other than that, I really just needed to tune out from work and try to do a hobby, I guess. Um, I spent a lot of time with friends, which was so, so nice. Um, that's about it. My brothers didn't come home there in Texas, so they didn't come home for the break. So that gave me a little bit more time to spend with friends, which was amazing. Um, we had the week off of Christmas. So my last mm -hmm. day of school was the 23rd and then we didn't go back until the 9th. So this past Monday and it was very nice. I never is, want to go back. <laughs> is your like week crazy? Cause my week has been off the rails. Yes. Absolutely. Since coming back from winter break, like nonstop testing and IEP ETRs. And it's just, it's a lot. It's odd in, in the position that I hold now as a speech program specialist is mm -hmm. it's more district issues. So they're like sending us to places and we have our uh, uh, semester training that we create for the SLPs in my district. Uh, so that's tomorrow morning. So once that happens, I think things will calm down a little bit, but then it's going to ramp fair. back up again. And um, I've also been doing a lot of uh, my side hustle for the PTSD SLP. I've been preparing some speeches and I actually had one last night for the SLP summit. And I'm so happy to say that that went very well. Last night was the live session from 7 p.m. to 8 p.m. on the East Coast. And I was told that 2,000 people, over 2,000 wow. people logged in. So that is by far my largest audience yet. Um, and, and that was not to mention all the replays it will have. Exactly. So the replays are available until January 30th. So whenever this episode comes out, make sure that you log on. You can watch any of the eight sessions. You can get CEUs for it, um, but definitely check out mine. Um, and I'm, I'm so excited to hear what people have to say. Actually, before we got onto the podcast, podcast, I was looking through the chat they sent me. I wasn't able to see it while I was doing it. So I read through every single comment and I took like such a sigh of relief after that there was not one negative comment. I was like, Aww. wow, out of 2000 people watching, like everyone was nice. And um, I think really thankful. I got a lot of people messaging me on Instagram after and saying thank you. And just, I didn't know about this. I, I didn't know it existed and I'm gonna use this in my personal life. I'm gonna use it at work and that's my goal. So I'm super excited about how that went. We're going to dive into trauma-informed care, but uh, that kind of popped up on my my Facebook this morning, and I sent that to you in the group chat of uh, somebody had made a post, and then someone else was like, you should go find Rachel's thing on in trauma-informed care. And I was like, I know that. Wait, 
This is I know so that weird. Rachel. I know that Rachel. You don't know her, but you're talking about her, Michelle. Mm-hmm. I didn't mean to cut you off. I'm sorry. No, I, exactly that. That I, you know, you gave that presentation just 24 hours ago, and it's already being talked about in SLP circles and in people that are, you know, a degree or two degrees separated from you. So I think it's, um, like it, it's already having an impact. So I'm hoping that we can continue that conversation. I know we will, but I just want to point out for our listeners too, that when you shared that post Rachel, um, of the, I'm going to get it wrong of their exact quote, but that this was one of the, one of the best sessions, if not the best session that we've had, um, with the SLP summit and that it's not just for you as an SLP, but to help you be a better person. And I think that is, that speaks to what you've, you've mm-hmm. done and what you're doing. So thank, thank you, Michelle. That. I appreciate that. No, when I saw them post that, I was like, <gasps> it, the quote said something like, this is one of the best presentations we've ever had in any summit. And the person that spoke before me was Carol Westby, who Whoa. I hear is a legend in the speech field. And I woke up to um, an email from her. So I was like, I am in the presence of royalty. And <laughs> It was a very cool feeling that um, more people are asking me for for information on this, and it's it's really cool. Well, and I so, like that what you talk about, and I need to listen to this presentation, but just mm-hmm. our conversations and what what you've taught me um, is is applicable right away. Like the things mm-hmm. that you're talking about, people can turn around the next day and apply to their daily interactions and their work, and I think that's that's a huge takeaway for people. Thank you. So I've never been in your shoes, Rachel, but I've been in the moderator shoes or the host shoes, whatever. What can a host do to help a a speaker? And then what can listeners do to, I guess, engage more when we're doing some of these online presentations? What was that now? So, (laughs) okay. So you're the speaker, right? And then I'm assuming that they can ask questions in the chat, right? Yes. How, what can, there was a two question. It was, it was like one for, for people watching online CEUs, what would you have liked to see? What would you like to see? Or how can somebody help the presenter? Is it asking more questions? Is it more respectful to wait till the email, that kind of stuff. And then more selfishly as someone who gets to play host of these things, but never doing the presentation, how can I be better to help the, the speakers in my host job? That, that was the, the double question, but. I, I think it's difficult in this podcast realm because we, we have to have that back and forth and everything. One of the things from my presentation last night, especially because it's about trauma, um, what I found in the chat, which I've never really given a presentation like that with a chat open, it was trauma dumping, which mm. was a, a way for us to feel relatable. And it's a way of saying like, hey, I've experienced something bad too. Um, but then you have all these people disclosing what they've gone through, which other people in the chat might not be able to look at that stuff right now. Um, so I would just be like, I totally understand how you feel or validating emotions that must that must be tough. And that's something that you can do as the host or something Matt. is just like, yes, I, I get that that validate their feelings mm. um, instead of putting your whole story out there. I had this happen and this happen. It's just, that's what trauma dumping is. It's unsolicited in a way. Um, and 
it takes if you're just in a conversation with someone uh, sitting at a coffee shop and your friend is venting to you um it's their time to vent in a way um so then when you say well this happened to me that's a little bit taking over so i always err on the side of caution and say let's do active listening validate those emotions and ask how you can help ask clarifying questions and things like that i think that's the best thing that we can do i love that thanks and we will definitely dive more into the trauma-informed care in a moment but first when somebody does something awesome or at least remarkable or is elected by a non-voting group of their peers we at least give you the ss pod shout out and our ss pod shout out is more of a heads up the new president of asha takes place uh robert m augustine is the 2023 president of asha uh i didn't vote for him because asha <laughs> took away our voting rights but hey there's That's our right, shout out because it's a pre a pre mm -hmm. we're approving a pre selected list no. wow that's what the votes are and i mean i would love to have uh dr augustine on the air because we love talking to our asha presidents and there's no 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 shade towards him it is awesome for uh somebody to step up i mean we had lisa uh William, right dr lisa williams on and you know she's done so much for for us in the field and for asha and i hope dr augustine does as well but uh, I can't let my personal feelings about ASHA decisions get in the way of the SS pod shout out. So Dr. Augustine, congratulations. Your new ASHA president. Congrats. Congrats. On the flip side of the shout out uh, is the SS pod due process. That is your opportunity to bring something to the court of public opinion, or we scour Facebook to bring it to you. And today, I was lovely remind. Was it today? Was it yesterday? I was lovingly reminded that Aegis, the wonderful healthcare uh, company, is doing a free webinar in CEU so that you too can learn how to treat, uh, uh, train an occupational therapist to give dysphagia, and then you can monitor and be their mentor while they make money working on dysphagia. Can you explain that again? Okay, so what they want to do is that they want SLPs to be training occupational therapists. And the way Aegis, the the the, the company Aegis is, or Aegis, Aegis yeah. mm -hmm. is, is kind of putting this in quotations. They're saying that it is so that the continuum of care between SLPs and OTs can co-treat dysphagia to allow for better care for the patient. However, what part of dysphagia? Oh, however, well, finish your however, however, they want us to train the occupational therapist and what to look for signs and symptoms and how to treat and how to give home exercise plans or whatever we do. Uh, and then we would be serving in an unpaid mentor role to the OT while the OT goes and treats dysphagia. Hmm. I don't get it. Like, I, so, I just no, I get what you're saying, Matt. I just don't I don't understand why that would be something to do like why are we training ot's on dysphagia and then we're not getting paid and then like the signs and symptoms like i i don't know mm -hmm. it just sounds weird to me so all i can say is that i know a few different companies on the home health care side 
have been reaching out to their therapists, telling them to cut back on the amount of therapies that they are providing to meet the national average of therapies per month. And a lot of times speech therapy is the one being uh, taken out of home care therapy. Is it because of our codes? Uh, I don't know about, I don't know the medical side. I'm just hearing it from different therapists and different companies. And the only thing that I can put two and two together is an occupational therapist can then bill for balance, safety in the home, and then dysphagia. So you only have to pay for one therapy visit. Mm-hmm. And the company my thought when I money. hear that from you is mm-hmm. my first thought is because OTs and PTs bill in units, right? Like oh, good point. They can co they can bill more oh. in the same time period. And we often have there's only a couple that are timed codes that we can use. The rest are the untimed codes, which means fifteen minutes or sixty-five minutes. It's the same payment to that company. So to me, it sounds like we're circling right back to the same conversation we have, which is insurance and money. Mm-hmm. I never even thought of that. That's frustrating. Because they'd rather put the therapist in for treatment who can mm-hmm. bill more. I know the conversation has been had, like I said, a couple of the home care therapy or home health care uh, companies around here. They've been reaching out to therapists saying, hey, we should only have 10 visits for the entire month. And you guys have scheduled 24 between OT, PT, speech, nursing, and home health care aides. Can you lower that to 10? Does speech need to be in? Does physical therapy need to see twice a week? Hmm. So Well, and I know, because I guess the debate is not so much. I mean, OTs, I've co-treated with OTs with feeding, with kids. And it has been right. really good. For sure. Um, and OTs do have a basic, you know, dysphagia training. I don't know to what extent that is. I mean, but there are certain programs even in speech that have more or less training in dysphagia. And then you seek that out after, right? So yes. I, I, I know with OT, it's similar. You know, I was in the SOS feeding, sensory feeding training with a lot of OTs, for example. So um, I don't think it's so much OTs like taking over as I think yeah. it's companies and management. Oh, I don't and, think it's OTs at all. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I, w- I was just clarifying that I wasn't sure if the debate was about scope of practice or like OT should be doing this or not, or is it more about w- what you were saying? Like who is actually going in to do the treatment? I think it can be a little bit of both. I think it is yeah. a little bit of, of scope of practice infringement, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but I think it's more, you know, it, it comes back to like at ASHA where that company talked about how to increase productivity by telling SLPs to carry everything with them. And then this is another sense where we're telling SLPs to train another therapy to replace our job. I think it's a, it's a, it's partial scope of practice from the OT, mm-hmm. but I think it's a majority shame on the companies yeah. for pushing this. And I wouldn't be surprised if this doesn't start to roll out in other companies, smaller, smaller companies. Well, and then also just the fact that they're asking SLPs to train is acknowledging Mm -hmm. that the SLP is, is the default expert in that, Mm -hmm. that area in dysphagia, right? Yep. So we're acknowledging that SLPs are the, are the people to talk to, (laughs) but now we're asking you to train these other people so that we can bill more. That's what I'm hearing. Right. 
I also don't know if this is to address like the SLP critical shortage. And I don't know what that looks like across the United States. Like I know where I am, the critical shortage is very, very bad. And um, it, it sounds like they're almost like trying to take something off the SLP's plate and just put it on OTs. Like, I don't know if they have a, a critical shortage like we do, if it's easier. Um, to hire an, an OT, but I don't know if that's part of this, like trying to take something off the SLP's plate and uh, try to make up for the critical shortage. Like let's have OTs fill in the gap of, of this critical shortage. That's a good point too. I never even thought of that. Mm -hmm. I don't know though. Is it, I know we're in a shortage, but is it a shortage or is it just a not wanting to hire? That's a whole different discussion. I'm sorry. Yeah. But yeah. But yeah, so if you have an SS pod due process, you can bring it to our attention, Discord, Facebook, or email. So let's dive into our first topic. And I'm excited because Rachel is the PTSD SLP. That is her, that is her, is that your side gig or is that your main gig? I would like it to be my main gig, okay. but right. I need well. some someone to pay me <laughs> All right. well when i win the 1.35 billion dollars i'll bring you on to payroll thanks uh, from, i appreciate it but Thank no you. i'm excited because this is kind of this is why you are becoming a rising star on the national level let's talk trauma-informed care what in general and, and of course anytime during this if anyone has questions speech science podcast uh at gmail.com or our discord but let's just start the thousand foot view and then we'll we'll dive in closer. What is trauma-informed care at 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 its basic level? What is it? Trauma-informed care essentially recognizes that there is trauma, the prevalence of trauma, the effects of trauma, and a way of restoring safety, power, and self-worth. It's a way of preventing re-traumatization. Um, and that is trauma-informed care at its core is preventing unnecessary trauma, um, or unintentional trauma. Um, so trauma-informed care can be done in any setting, in my opinion. And that's what I've been presenting about recently that when I've presented at Flasha every summer, um, because people know specifically what my trauma event was because it's it's public knowledge and it happened at a school people assume that oh you know i'm not going to attend the session because it's a school-based issue which it is absolutely not it could be in your personal lives it could be in the adult settings it could be in home health it could be with little nicu babies it could be with any population in our field it can be used um and i, I think that with the pandemic that's been it's now 2023 um we've had such it, in our culture in our country we've had such a, a growing interest in mental health that um and and concern about mental health as well and we're looking for a way to explain things and maybe we're more aware about how we talk about certain things so Trauma-informed care is a way of preventing re-traumatization is the way that I speak about it. I had never heard of it as being a way to avoid re-traumatization 
and I and I love that because as soon as you said that, I think about nonchalant comments that I make with patients or a question that I ask a patient uh, when we're doing stroke or dementia care. And a lot of times going through their, their stroke rehab is the, the, the most recent trauma. Mm-hmm. And for some patients I can say, okay, well, you know, walk me through what happened and I'm just doing it as a, let's see what your memory's like. Mm-hmm. And for some of them, it, it's a very big emotional motion. Absolutely. Scale. And that makes so much sense that like, even for you to process that that might be something that would be difficult for your patient to do, not because they can't do it because they had a stroke, but because the emotional aspect that that was a terrifying part of their life that they are still dealing with to this day. And Mm -hmm. I think of, you hear stories all the time about like a neurosurgeon having a stroke and they were brilliant, brilliant people. And then now their recovery is that they're doing Sudokus. And when you look at their recovery and what they are able to do based on what the person next to them that has like no skills, you know, what Mm -hmm. we see or what they see, that's still not enough for them that they want to be back at their baseline. Like our goal is to be back at that baseline. We want to be how we were before. So when you're saying like, look at you, you're doing Sudokus and that guy like can't even do whatever, that's not trauma informed. Like that's, people are still having a difficult time understanding that they just had a stroke and that their lives are going to look a bit different. Their independence might look very different. They're living in a setting that they're not comfortable with, you know? So there's all these things to understand. So trauma-informed care is just you stepping in as that provider and understanding the people that you work with might be going through something based on why they're here, but also they might be going through something in their lives as well. And you as the provider also probably have some trauma, you could have experienced some trauma in your life at any point, but a lot of us are experiencing it through our job as well. Um, And some people have PTSD from their jobs or anything like that. And what I talked about last night is just like being triggered. And I think that word is used like very loosely these days. It's It's just too much. Yeah, it is. And I think it's a way of like the I hear it a lot in the older generation that they make fun of us like, oh, they're always triggered, you know, and it's like our safe space. Yeah, it is. And it's it's a way of just saying like emotional dysregulation, like something happened or something. uh, It could be just a noise. So when I talk about when I'm triggered, that doesn't mean that I'm like curling up in a ball on the floor. That just means that like I'm emotionally dysregulated for me and a way to avoid that with other people is just like we could change our language we can um you know just not knowing what everyone has gone through a lot of people once they hear what i went through they're like oh my gosh you went through something so terrible and they understand it but they shouldn't have to like see someone know their trauma in order to be trauma informed you should be trauma informed across the board to anyone you meet Okay. I like, I like how you said that. So the idea of being that you don't have to even know someone's trauma, because I think sometimes I automatically Mm -hmm. think that like, oh, I need to shape specific to what, Mm -hmm. whatever their trauma is, but there's no way I could know unless they openly choose to share that with me. Right. And the caveat though, is because we have such areas in our, in our field, we could step into a specific setting somewhat knowing or uh, kind of having an idea of what someone might experience. So one example is if you are someone working in the VA, 
-hmm. you mm -hmm. what types of people are there veterans right so we have people that might have been in active combat they might have family separation they might have all these things that have happened so if i'm walking into a va i'm going to try to remove violent language and i do this every day anyway that I can't tell you how many times a day at my job I hear, shoot me a text, shoot me an email. And with my background, with my trauma, when I've talked to my coworkers about how like that's just yucky to me, they're like, oh my gosh, uh, yeah, that makes total sense. And they change it around me, even though it doesn't affect me. And they've removed it from their language in general for everyone because of mm -hmm. that experience. So when I walk into a VA, someone might, have an emotional reaction to me saying shoot or bomb or something like that we don't know what people's triggers are so the only thing that we can do is remove things that might cause people some trouble and um that's the way that i've done it with my specific school we didn't use any violent language like that another example is like a domestic violence clinic um, they are told that's actually the first time I heard it was violent language. I didn't hear it before that. Um, so instead of saying trigger to them is actually a violent word. So instead they use the word Q. However, the medical mm. terminology has not caught up with that yet. The medical term is still trigger. So it's difficult to separate that and just say like, all right, everyone use cues because we're not at the, the point yet that everyone understands that. But if I'm walking into a domestic violence clinic, that many have experienced gun violence, I'm going to remove any gun related figurative language that I've got out of respect mm -hmm. and just trauma informed care. I like what you just kind of said, though, about how certain things don't necessarily upset you, but they make you feel a certain way. And I think and you're the expert in this area, but like, it almost seems that a lot of people look at when they hear the word trigger or safe space or mm -hmm. changing language or whatever, they automatically go to like anxiety induced panic shutdown based on a word. Is there, how do we in the therapy and the rehab facility and the rehab umbrella help train that it's not necessarily the most meltdown situation. It is that, yeah, it just makes me feel uncomfortable or it makes me feel extra or outside or, or whatnot. Yeah. When I think of triggers, it's more of like, um, an in invasive memory or something like that. And yeah. it's, it's not, or intrusive memory, um, that it's not something that I can control. So it might just be someone saying a word and it doesn't mean like I'm brought back to that. I'm not picturing myself in that room, but I am having a memory of a specific thing and I would rather not have that memory for that. But you know, we can't know what everyone's triggers are. It is impossible. It might be a balloon. It might be like a, something that's red, like we'll never know. So we can remove some things and we also just need to ask like, uh, not, Hey, what are your triggers and what's your trauma? That's not what I'm asking there. Like, um, but, with our clients that that you're building relationships with um matt the example that you gave of just like hey i'm using like uh, the stroke memory of mm -hmm. hey tell me what happened 
a trauma-informed mindset might be, hey, do you mind telling me about that? Is it too soon oh. or something like that? So it's always the pillars of trauma-informed care are to provide safety, choice, collaboration, mutuality, empowerment, voice, choice, and cultural, historical, and gender issues. So if you're offering your patient that choice to participate in that thing, that doesn't mean that they're not able to relay what happened in that instance. It's just that they might not be emotionally ready to, to go through that yet. So you can pick something else. <laughs> you know, like that's that. re reminding me. I feel like I'm, uh, I'll give a, a shout out to a previous coworker of mine, a music therapist who I worked with, Julie. If she hears this, she'll know. But um, she was one who had previously worked in a hospice setting. And what some of the things you're talking about, whether she just learned them on her own or like through that experience in that hospice setting, she was the one who I learned from her to say when you approach someone, especially family members, um, or if someone has been through an experience, just like you mm -hmm. said, it's, um, Hey, do you mind talking about this? Mm -hmm. Or, um, if let me know when you're up to talking about this, whatever that approach she mm -hmm. would do. And then also, uh, she talked about even seeing people with their significant other that sometimes she would want to play music that was, you know, the love songs and whatever mm -hmm. else, but you don't even know what their relationship mm -hmm. truly right. is at that point. So, um, not focusing on that, but maybe asking what their preferences were for the music that instead of assuming that they're this in love 90 year old couple, they may exactly. be, they might not be. Exactly. So it was, um, it was really interesting, but I, I feel like I want to connect her with your um, presentation too, because I think she might really enjoy it. And then the second thing I wrote down, Rachel, while I'm listening to you, because I'm going to go watch the rest of your presentation is, um, relating trauma-informed care because my immediate thought was to the patient but now as soon as you're talking I'm thinking of every time I'm talking with the parents yes. or the family members and especially when it comes to a new diagnosis or um, they've been through five different evals with specialists already yep. uh, of what those those cues and triggers might be for the family members not just because they're so much part of an eval for children especially yes is there I, anything you could add to I, I'm just wondering yeah. your thoughts on all that. Yeah. No, I, that is something that in the last year I've been really, really considerate about is that I have people telling me all the time, and especially in my setting with the public schools, that they have advocates come in and the parents are so mean to them as professionals. And I have to take a step back and and be like, I've been in your shoes. I've been in, in an IEP meeting that a parent comes in swinging for no reason. And mm -hmm. what is the reality that they have a child that they might have had um, medical professionals like gaslighting them over the years, or they might have had an experience with the public school system that is saying like, no, your child, like not giving them their accommodations or not whatever. So they're just on the defense. So there's a book by Oprah and Dr. Bruce Perry called What Happened to You? And it shifts the conversation from what's wrong with you to what happened to you. So when I have a parent that's coming in swinging, and that's kind of violent language as well. So when I have a parent that is coming in, that's already on the defense, I'm like, what has this poor family gone through that they are so worried that we are doing the wrong thing, you know, and, and nothing might've happened that that's just the way that they think they have to go about it. But I'm also 
giving them the benefit of the doubt that they've been put through this. And actually my, my, you'll see in my presentation, um, that I talk about the term red flags. That's a negative connotation. So when you have a physician telling a family that their two-year-old has red flags of autism, that's off the bat a negative connotation mm -hmm. to what mm -hmm. is going to happen. So instead you could say, um, just signs your, your child is showing signs of it. And that is a much more neutral slash positive way of mm -hmm. putting it rather than red flags. Um, and I've talked to parents of autistic children that say that moment of being told red flags was the most traumatic thing because I just see what my child's life is going to look like, not the diagnosis of autism, but the red flags was the part that was the trigger. And then red became a trigger. And mm -hmm. my coworker can't look at lions because her child was wearing a, a lion on his shirt when he was diagnosed with autism. And it's like, you're never going to know that lions trigger her as the parent, but that was her experience. So like, it, you're never going to know people's triggers or cues. You, you just have to ask them and try to ensure you as the provider, safety, choice, collaboration, mutuality, trust um, with both the parents and your client. It, when you mentioned the color red, it almost is the reason why, like I went to a, I don't even know if that's what the word I was looking for. I went to a training five, six, 10 years ago where they talked about why, when we put on an AAC device, we don't want to put gr yes is green and mm -hmm. red is no, because mm. it's that same idea. And, and they didn't talk about like it being a trigger, but they talked about it as we relate that color red to bad. Mm -hmm. So it's almost bad for the student to use the word no on an AAC device. And, and that's where that immediately went to. That's interesting. And, well, I had even gone to a, a, on the red piece, gone to a training. Uh, wow. This is 12, 12 plus years ago now um, for old, educators. Michelle. And the, it stuck with me because the um, instructor specifically gave us all colored pens, but they weren't Ooh. red. She gave us oh, blues yeah. and yep. green yep. and purples. And, and her recommendation was if you're making corrections or edits or anything else, and I've used mm -hmm. it not just in the school setting, but otherwise making notes that because there is this negative association for yep. many people with the color red or an instantaneous like failed feeling, even if mm -hmm. that's as basic as that that emotion is um all right might make the markings and the edits in purple mm -hmm. <laughs> just change it up see if that might right and it's little things that you can do you're not saying that marking someone's paper with a red pen is going to cause them emotional trauma but the risk that academic trauma is very real so when you're a kid in say k through 12 that is getting red all over his paper and then being put on red as a color for behavior and then red 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 oh. over time that becomes the academic trauma and then they might have an aversion to red things like and we're not saying that that dictates like whether they have trauma or not but all these things combined is what can contribute to it so it's just being mindful of what we're you know putting out there and and us as providers and us as parents and us as friends and everything like I can still be trauma informed to my friends. And I see a lot of my friends going through like infertility and stuff. And I see their parents that are like, 
oh, when are you having a baby? You know, and they're like, bro, we've been trying for 10 years. Like, and, and then they're like, whoa, I'm embarrassed because you just told me that. But like, it takes conversations like that for them to realize like, hey, it's not really appropriate for me to be asking that. Or it's not trauma informed because you don't know the reaction that people are going to get. Like they might burst into tears. They might, you know, we don't know. So it's better to just active listening. And a lot of it is therapy skills. Like we should be trained in grad school. These, these skills that therapists are, are of, of how to just speak to our clients. Basic we we don't get, yeah, skills. Yep. we, we need that hugely. Mm-hmm. Especially, I mean, I, I think of, uh, run down a, a list of you talk about just the known traumas that mm-hmm. we know of mm-hmm. our patients and then ones that I hadn't thought of until you work with that patient longer and you realize that they were a micro preemie and they were mm-hmm. this other thing. So that adds into the family trauma and experiences mm-hmm. that that family has been through since birth and early birth and a NICU stay and everything else that has led all the way up to sitting in a second grade IEP meeting. Mm-hmm. So um, you, you're getting my brain turning here of of how applicable this trauma-informed care piece is to all speech settings and from birth to the end of life. Absolutely. I often, I often wonder if the people that are against, I, I wouldn't say against trauma-informed care, but they're, they fight it because they say, you know, I have my own trauma and I Mm-hmm. stuff it down inside and I move on and I'm not offended and yeah. neither should other people. I often wonder, and, and I'm playing couch psychologist at this point, yes. yeah. that if they are projecting, they are not okay with it, but they don't want to address it. So they don't want anyone else to address theirs. I don't, I don't know where I was going with that, but I, you know, I, off the air, I told you guys, or I show, I sent you guys the screen grabs from the conversation. Mm-hmm. And in one of the comments, it says something like, well, my child was hit by a car and I don't have any problem when someone says, I feel like I'm hit by a truck. And my initial reaction is you just posted that on the internet. Yeah. You obviously have a problem with that, even if you're not addressing it. And I wonder if that kind of leads into the anti-trauma informed care conversation. And I, I think, I think that, those people that have that outlook of like, I just got through it, or I'm not going to make them change what they say. Like, they don't know that there's another option. Because if I were talking to that person, I would want them to stop me and say like, hey, just to let you know, like my child did not survive a car accident. And that is like a tough thing to hear. And Mm -hmm. I'm sure I would be like, Oh, my gosh, like I didn't know and everything. But I would never say like that uh, graphic thing. And I feel bad for that person that, that posted this. Cause I want to be like, you have the right to be angry about that, or you have the right to be bothered by that. Or like when that happens, when, if someone says that phrase, do you not have that intrusive memory of, of just not, not even the accident or just like a memory that you didn't need to have for that? Like uh, there's better ways to go about things or like, just kind ways to go about things. And I feel bad that people feel that they just need to like get through it. You know, Mm -hmm. we can still have conversations with people and have disagreements with people and not be friends with people and still have a trauma informed way of speaking, not cause anyone additional hurt in my opinion. Again, I love how you keep going back to the, we don't want to cause additional hurt. 
Okay, so if I am a therapist and I have walked into the situation and I don't know any triggers and I don't have anything on paper that is that is showing the the big triggers. I'm, I'm not working with with the veteran. I'm I'm working mm-hmm. with Joe Blo- Joe Schmo, who was a factory worker, stroke and, and and whatnot. You know, part of me wants to not change my language because I want to be who I want to be. Is that the right attitude? And then if I upset the person, if I trigger them, then obviously change the wording that I'm using because I don't want to be the jerk. Or is that the wrong attitude and I need to change my my wording going in, even if I don't know? Like, that, I think that's the, the question a lot of, like, therapists, I think that's a lot of question a lot of people have when they look at trauma-informed. Do I change everything about how I talk or do I... Am I, should I be more, I guess that's it. Should I be more proactive or should I be more reactionary or, or mixture? Or? My, my opinion would be, be more proactive. I have no problem being myself, but also not using certain language. And we, the goal is to build a relationship. So if you find that like your client is cursing up a storm and you feel comfortable matching that energy, go ahead and do it. But my I'm favorites. not like walking in and I'm not, mine too. I curse like right. a sailor. <laughs> and, and I love that. Like I, I found a doctor when I had COVID that was just cursing in the office. I was like, I love you. Like I feel so much more comfortable and everything like it just I I feel good about this and it's providing that relationship. So I don't want you to think of it as like making yourself less or like putting yourself into a box like you can still be yourself, but it's patient led client led. So like let them lead you and, and have this natural bond to things you can connect on other parts of it, but um, you're you're not going to know what their triggers are and hopefully the relationship that you guys build is that they would say, you know what? I don't really like that, but they might not have the language to say that or know that that is something that you can ask someone is to not say a certain phrase that isn't harmful. I'm using air quotes for those of you at home, but like we, we don't know. So I would be more proactive than reactive of knowing six months down the line, you've been working with this person and you find out something that has affected them deeply and you've been using this phrase that is very graphic to a point of figurative language and you find out later on that that you know was a trigger of a memory that they did not want at the time and that's my way of going about it um i I think it's always better to be proactive i like it thanks well, as we wrap up, because I do want to put a, we'll take a short break here in a moment. Rachel, if more people want to find, or people want to find out more about trauma-informed care or the work you do as the PTSD SLP, where would you direct them? You can go to my Instagram page, like that said, PTSD.SLP. I also have a Facebook uh, group that's PTSD resources for SLPs, and I have the SLP Summit uh, my presentation is free uh, till January 30th. You can watch the replay. So there's some great presentations on there, but I'm always available to chat on Instagram. I'm on it way too much. So, <laughs> <laughs> On the flip side, when we come back, we are going to dive into the world of AI and what does that mean for us in the rehab facilities. You're listening to Speech Science. All right, I'll call you guys back. The Alzheimer's Association and 
the Ad Council present the story of Cynthia and Ed. My mother was always very active and independent, and she was familiar with her neighborhood. But one day, out of the blue, she stopped at the stop sign for much longer than usual. And uh, she didn't know whether she should go forward or, or turn or just stay at the stop sign. She wasn't even really sure where she was at. She was very concerned. It was very unsettling for her. It's important for you to talk to someone about it, to bring the family in on it. I felt so much better after my son told me, Mom, I don't want you to worry or be afraid. I'll be there for you and we'll figure it out. When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. Visit alz.org slash ourstories to learn more. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Speech Science, the only podcast hosted by multiple SLPs looking at their gray hair in the <laughs> off top. Thank you, Rachel, for pointing out my gray hair. You're welcome. Hey. It looks good, everyone. So let's talk about AI, artificial intelligence, uh, in the realm of speech therapy. You guys know what chat GPT is? No. Mm -hmm. And that voice is Rachel Archambault, Michelle Wintering. Hello, I'm Matt Hot. Okay, Hi so again. chat GPT is a open AI system right now where you can ask questions and it will write you up a response and mm -hmm. it can write uh, research papers. They've done things <laughs> on IEPs. We're going to talk yeah. about an article about AI and speech therapy. Uh, so I opened up an account on openai.com and I just wrote in therapy plan for disfluency. And this was the chat GPT's response. A therapy plan for disfluency, also known as stuttering, may include a combination of approaches such as speech therapy. A speech therapist can work with the individual to teach strategies for controlling the rate and rhythm. Fluency shaping. This approach fo focuses on teaching the person to speak in a smooth and effortless, effortless manner. Cognitive behavioral therapy. Communication skills training. Support groups. Medications. It is important to note that the therapy plan should be tailored to the individual's specific needs and goals. That's so wild. We're at Isn't this point. It? It I, is. And, and this sparked because coming out of the University of Illinois, uh, led with a consortium led by the University of Buffalo, they've been awarded a $20 million grant by the National Science Foundation to establish a national institute that develops artificial intelligence systems that identify and assist young children with speech and or language processing challenges. It is to help alleviate the need of SLP since there is a desperate need for more. What are our initial responses? Because I am not ready to welcome our robot overlords just yet. But what about you guys? <laughs> Can we get a pilot program in Broward County, Florida? Because you'd be open for this. <sighs> I, I don't know how else to address the shortage. Like, obviously, it, when you read that, like there's some not perfect ways of writing things like it's it's almost there but like i i don't know what we can do to address the the critical shortage area like we have thousands of kids not getting services and that's not right so like so what would the ai be doing the ai would be writing plans or uh, so as you guys are talking i have shared my screen about me asking it to write an iep for a student re receptive language 
deficit. And so. it just told us no. <laughs> yeah. it, it said it's <laughs> legal. Yeah. I, it did. It said it's legal and uh, confidential and all that stuff. That's pretty funny. That, but it was. I mean, I've seen people writing IEPs from it. So I wonder if they're like, you can't do that anymore. Yeah, I don't know. I'm trying to break the system here. For well, the... so tell them what you're doing, though, Matt. Oh, so... I'm I'm putting into the openai.com. I am putting in directions like write a following directions goal for three steps. The first uh, time you said write an IEP, write and an said, IEP. I cannot do that. That's a legal document. Additional IEPs are confidential yeah. and should only be shared with those who are directly involved in the student's education. That's really funny. That is kind of funny. But I, you could use this to help generate ideas for goals or help... Mm -hmm streamline that process a little bit or at least give examples and tell people hey build off of this right right so. i think it needs some work i don't know if we're there okay. yet well that's why they got the 20 million dollar grant i okay. i don't think we're gonna have robot overlords but i i feel like there's technology is always look changing, at watson and there's always resistance to it why'd you shake the your head when i said look at watson <laughs> I think you've been watching too much Star Wars yeah. and no, all this no, that you're no, like no, the no, overlords no. are coming. No, okay. I was <laughs> kidding about the overlords. I know, I know. Do you guys not know the Watson computer? Yeah, I know Watson. Well, that was the one that went against Ken Jennings. Yeah, but do you know what it's doing now? Not currently. It's in hospitals and it's like diagnosing people. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay, but why is that? Uh, I'll play the other side, Matt. Why is that necessarily a bad thing if you have a computer that can mm -hmm. run through the list of possibilities based on whatever these symptoms are and narrow it down? So I think if it's used as a tool, it will be great. Okay, I agree it, with you. Yeah. If it is used as the primary interface, that is where my concern is. No, I up. think there always has to be a person to be able to override or add to mm -hmm. or correct yeah, I'm so with you. They want the AI Institute for Exceptional Education will focus on serving millions of children nationwide who, under IDEA, require SLP or SL services. The project aims to apply advanced AI techniques to assist young children with speech and or language processing challenges. See, that is where I get concerned. It's very broad right now. Yes. Though. Yes. Mm -hmm. it's, because it's research, so they're going to be developing things, but I don't. Correct. They're still going to have to be an SLP in charge of. A section of this so but what this is, there... is where they don't say that sorry yeah, they don't say that but think about our licensures and stuff and the legally binding iup document yeah but there's no one to license when you're in ai so are they practicing <laughs> is the ai computer practicing without a license <laughs> <laughs> between states now what about that license it says especially the project will develop two advanced ai solutions the ai screener for early identification and the AI orchestrator, which will act as a virtual teaching assistant by providing students with ability-based interventions. Wow. So it sounds to me like it would be overseen by an SLP. It sounds like they're trying to do an, an assistant. This Are they getting rid of the SLPAs? That's why Asha, that's why Asha licensed them. Is to avoid the AI. Did they? Argument. Are they officially licensed? I don't, now? I don't know what they oh are. Oh my but... gosh. I'm like, that's news if they are. I don't think they are. I know it was in the works. But no, this is like, I guess I'm concerned because, all right, I, I, I love the app Constant Therapy. Okay. I use it with, my, with, with a lot of my adult patients, but I set the homework, I set the schedule, I set the plan, 
I know my patient. I have my therapeutic insight. I've talked to my patient. I wonder, and, and maybe this is the old man yelling at a cloud scenario of, of standing in the way of technology, <laughs> but like, I, I worry about with artificial intelligence, it can mimic a lot of what we do in human reality, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. it misses some of that human touch that is important. And, and we were just talking about trauma-informed care. Mm-hmm. You know, there are some times where I will be using an app that pulls pictures, you know, from Google. And then all of a sudden it's like one out of every million pictures is that one you're like, we should not be showing that picture to anybody. How, 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 we just spent 45 minutes talking about trauma informed care. How do we impact, how do we expect an AI to do that? And again, maybe I'm just the old man yelling at a cloud. I think we don't. Like, if that's my, my opinion is that there needs to always be a human component to it. Whether we have that humans is... that act like robots currently that that's, can't get the true. aspect of trauma informed care or their bedside manner is absolutely trash. And <laughs> like, yeah. I, I just, I feel so maybe like, this could help those people. Yes. I feel like some robots have done a better job. Like they have robots in place or like, you know, the, uh, in hospitals now they have like robots that they wear to say, Oh, you know, we sense that you're feeling sad right now. Take a break. And, and yeah, you're right. like, they've got these things, but oh, like, who's the, what's the robot? Baymax. This was years ago at Asha. No, the, for oh. autism Milo. Uh, oh yeah. Milo. Oh, I don't know. The robot for, um, yeah, I forgot about oh, Milo. Gosh, I met him and like we interacted with him. I've only been to one Asha, so I don't think I, yeah. I saw it, but I don't, th- I think my entire life I've been told that like AI is taking our jobs and whatever, and I have yet to see it. Like we, we've seen at, at McDonald's, they take the counters and whatever. And I've been to the airport with like a, a McDonald's that has no person and it's a nightmare. Um, people are waiting. And what, so like, I don't think that it's going to be overhauling so, the SLP position. Here's what they say about the SLP position. Thank you for setting that up and you'll laugh because it actually supports what you're talking about. Maybe the AI orchestrator is an app that will help speech language pathologists. And this is their exact quote. Most of whom have caseloads so large that they must provide group based interventions for children instead of individualized care. The app addresses this by recommending personalized content tailored to students' needs. It continues to monitor students' progress and adjust lesson plans to ensure that the interventions are working. So I would love. I, I'm I would, not sure I would be involved with that student at all. Then I just hand them to my AI and then just sit in my chair and do circles. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yes, Matt. No, no. I, I just, it. I don't. I, I see a, a perspective from my district when we have such issues placing SLPs, whether they're new grads or, I mean, veteran SLPs are saying, I'm not taking that population. I don't feel comfortable. Like, I don't have a centralized, mm-hmm. my district is not centralized. So they apply with the school, they stay at the school, whatever population is there. So we have schools with cluster classrooms or, you know, special populations that are not being serviced because people, SLPs that are trained, graduate school, ASHA certified, don't feel comfortable going into those classrooms. So they're just sitting empty. So if a computer can figure out how to work with children in a very niche population, I would love to have them. Like I want, my goal is to have 
kids having services. That's the goal. So I know we're always having this debate of like, is teletherapy a, a mode of, of like, is it good enough as therapy? Is it only in person that should be allowed? Like, I, I think computers could be another aspect when they get better. Or it could streamline some of the yeah. the paperwork and the documentation. That would be nice. Yeah. I mean, how That's great true. would that be? Yeah. <laughs> That's true. You know, if it could track, we, we worked on goals, X, Y, and Z. And I, I don't know, there's so much that computers can do, but huh, let's see, what are you typing in now? So I asked it if should artificial, artificial intelligence conduct speech therapy, and I misspelled speech therapy. Okay. Uh, it says it is important to note that AI should not replace human therapists as the personal touch and understanding provided by a therapist is an important aspect of speech therapy. Additionally, AI is not yet at a point where it can fully replicate the capabilities of a human therapist. So All we right. should have just Even asked your... them. <laughs> What's right? this website again? Chat. Uh, Chat.openai.com. I read that as open high or like one big word. <laughs> well, I think this website. is much uh, like this. Uh, this uh, website is much more utilized for writing those trashy novels um that i really enjoy i've seen mm -hmm. a couple like fanfic um fan fiction yeah it's, pre it's the, pretty cool uh, the one i've seen shared the last couple years around christmas time is i had a computer watch a thousand hours of yes. Hallmark movies yes and had them write one exactly <laughs> i get a big kick out of that uh Oh man, Matt just typed in, how would Edward explain to Bella about disfluency? Oh, well, it's pretty, pretty close. So in its own <laughs> words, <laughs> he would also highlight that there are different therapies and treatments to help individuals manage disfluency. Yet well, it had nothing about Twilight, yeah. unfortunately. No. Well, it's let's bad. move on to our next topic where we'll be discussing <laughs> the impact of Asha on our lives in a segment that we like to call What's up, Asha? What's up, what Asha? Up, Asha? <laughs> it's been a long time. <laughs> it's been a, it's been a while, very long time. I'll stop sharing my screen. <clears throat> the big go. thing in What's Up, Asha is, did you guys know that you can be nominating people for the new uh, election? I did get an email about that, but also I, I want to be more informed about who my options are, but I guess this is just the nominating part of it. Yep, go to asha.org slash about slash governance slash election, uh, and you can uh, click the nominate now. Uh, it is for the 2024, is that right? I think so. Yeah, uh, so for their board of directors. Oh, and they do have the nominations and election process, so you nominate name submissions, then they'll, you know, if they like who you've, you've submitted and there's enough they'll do the application and then the review board will review all the applications and uh for contested positions they'll have three finalists slated for uncontested they'll just have three finalists selected they'll do interviews and then they will slate uh, who they think cool so that is open now the 2023 all right, so as our podcast comes to an end, this is my favorite time to ask you guys my favorite question. What are you looking forward to in the next seven to 10 days that is not speech related? 
I have Monday off for the holiday, so I'm looking forward to relaxing, spending time with my pup. Oh, it's supposed to be cold this weekend too. Um, and cold, I mean the 50s. So we're uh, really that's, excited that's in Florida. We are so excited. Yeah, so starting, I think tomorrow night, it's gonna go pretty cold. So I'm going to be frolicking in a field somewhere. And <laughs> wearing I'm, your sweater and jeans and uh yeah some uggs probably <laughs> some <laughs> uggs <laughs> oh guys it's gonna get into the field. 40s it's gonna be a low of 41 on sunday guys that is that means freezing <laughs> michelle what are you doing i'm also looking forward to the long weekend and um and honestly just some family time okay. um there you go I am coaching some more. We are wrapping. We are getting in the middle of the season. And I absolutely love this time because it is just nonstop uh, things to do. Which sport? Is this bowling? Uh, bowling. Bowling. How's your bowling website, Matt? Cincybowling.com is still kicking off and we are doing fairly well. We just made a power ranking that I'm sure upset a few people. So, eh, so you know, I just wrote a ending to our show on the chat.openai and yes. I'll read that here in a second. Okay. Uh, but first, our, our intro music tonight was Please Listen Carefully by Jazard's License Under an Attribution and Share Alike License. Our bump music was the County Fair Rock copyright uh, John Deku. Uh, find his music at soundcloud.com slash dirtdogmusic. And our closing music playing right now is The Slow Burn by Kevin McLeod. It's licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution License. Thanks so much to my co-host Michelle and Rachel for all of their hard work and dedication to this podcast. It's a true pleasure working with both of you. And a reminder to all of our listeners, always strive to be like a willow tree. Flexible, resilient, and unbreakable. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next week. Thanks, OpenAI. So long, everybody. I'm impressed. And you I'm didn't in even shock. say a willow tree. There's you said no way. to be willows. <laughs> I'm in shock. Did you? I, I feel like you tricked the system. I did not. I'm impressed. Wow. You didn't even say willow tree. I did not. That, that is the perfect way to end the show. I if I can say that. Speech Science is edited and produced by MWH Production. Please follow Speech Science on Twitter at SpeechSciencePC and like our page on Facebook. And rate and subscribe to our podcast anywhere you get your podcasts.